Why are there so many different Christian denominations in the world today? How can we all claim to read the same book and yet come to such vastly different conclusions about what it says? Dr. David K. Bernard explains how in this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first-century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Recently on social media, you asked a question. The question was, why do Christian groups have different fundamental doctrines? And I do, I think that's really interesting because you can find Christians of varying stripes that will take the same scriptures and they'll argue opposing viewpoints. And so as a result, as, as we've seen, Christians have broken off into a, it really is a staggering number of different denominations. In fact, I read one study that said that there are about 45,000 different Christian denominations worldwide. How do we all read the same book and yet come to vastly different conclusions about what it says? Well, let me give you a very broad answer, and then we'll focus more narrowly. And if, if someone is really interested in studying this question in greater detail, I recommend my history series, A History of Christian Doctrine, Volumes 1, 2, and 3. I narrate uh, the 2,000 years of, of church history, uh, and in the process, I explain how different denominations were formed and different religious traditions were formed. So for, for if you want a detailed answer from a historical point of view, uh, that series, and it's also available as an abridged one volume. Those are some of my favorite books that you've done, by the well, way. I just... Well, thank you. And uh, I, so I tried to – it's not just a history of Christianity. It's a history of doctrine, so the how these various ideas evolved. But to give a, a simple answer – uh, there are basically three different philosophies for the Christian church. And I, when I describe them, I'm not attacking anybody. I'm trying to be descriptive. But the first one you might call tradition, and that's represented by the Roman Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodoxy. So the way they establish doctrine is saying, is to say, the, the church we have today is the direct successor of the apostles. So we go back to church leaders. In the case of the Catholic Church, they use the Pope. Eastern Orthodox, they use some of the ancient churches. And they say, our church is the successor of the church of the previous generation, the previous generation, all going all the way back to Jesus Christ, uh, to Peter the first Pope in the first case of the Catholics. Of course, that's false both... Um, theologically and historically, but that's the theory that the reason why we can justify our beliefs is this unbroken chain of tradition. However, as a matter of historical fact, there is no such unbroken chain. And even if there were historically, you don't have to look at 2,000 years of history to see the flaw. Just look at the last 50 years because people change their beliefs. Uh, I use an analogy. Let's say you wanted to cut 20 boards of equal length. And so you measure the first one, you cut it. What if you take the first one to measure the second one, the second one to measure the third one, and so on to the 20th board? You will find a significant variation because slight variations will, will crop up in the process. And by the time you get the end, they will be distorted and magnified. Well, the same thing would happen. Another analogy I use is a little game. Uh, that's sometimes called gossip, where uh, one person 
thinks of a sentence and uh, they whisper it in the ear of the second person. The second person whispers the ear of the third person and so on all the way around the room. Let's say you had 20 people. And then the last person gets up and announces the sentence. And then the first person announces the real sentence. And invariably, there's no relation. Because each person hears something just a little bit different or they miss something, they uh, instinctively fill in the context so it makes sense to them, but they end up distorting the message. Well, if that's true in a simple matter of cutting boards or whispering sentences, well, 20 centuries of teaching doctrine, can any false ideas creep in the church? Yes, whether intentionally or not. For example, 50 years ago, the major Protestant denominations in America would have opposed uh, fornication, adultery, same-sex marriage, uh, or even homosexual relationships, transgenderism. Now they ordain bishops, uh, leaders of the church who practice these various sins. So we can see before our eyes how the church can evolve. So tradition is not a sufficient uh, safeguard. So then the second way of doing church is the Protestant Reformation. So what happened in the Middle Ages, of course, Martin Luther in 1517 became the catalyst, that he began studying the Scripture, and he realized that the church of his day did not follow Scripture in major ways. Now, he focused on justification by faith. And so he pronounced, we've got to go back to the Word of God. But he did not completely go back to the beginning. He took the medieval church and he reformed certain key elements that he felt were essential. But other elements that he recognized were not biblical, but still he left alone. So that's why it's called the Protestant Reformation. Protestant meaning they protested the medieval church. Reformation meaning they reformed the medieval church. So on a doctrine such as salvation by faith versus works, uh, Luther was adamant, salvation by grace through faith. And so we're going to reform the church. But on, uh, say, baptism, uh, Luther admitted that in the Bible, baptism is by immersion. But he didn't try to reform that because he didn't think it was essential, so he left it alone. There's even a place in Luther's writings where um, some people were baptizing in the name of Jesus Christ. And so Luther's, probably they were inspired by Luther's emphasis, let's go back to the Bible, and some of Luther's followers came to Luther and said, you know, we need to rebuke these people. They're giving us a bad name. Apparently they were Protestants and they're denying the Trinity and they're making everybody think that we're of that sort. And so Luther's answer was we cannot forbid them from doing this because they're only doing what the apostles did in the New Testament. So in essence, Luther admitted when you read the New Testament, the apostles baptized the name of Jesus Christ. But he did not feel compelled to go back to that practice because his idea was let's just fix what is essential to be fixed. We don't have to overhaul everything. Let's keep. So he kept the merger of church and state. Um, he believed in executing the more radical reformers like the Anabaptists, which is not at all the practice of the New Testament church. So he very much kept many elements of the medieval church, even when he or others realized it's not the same as original church. The third way of doing a church is restoration. And this is represented by the Pentecostal movement. 
Trinitarians, but even more consistently, oneness. When the early Pentecostals of the 20th century received the Holy Ghost, it wasn't based on their experience. It was based on scripture. So men such as Charles Parham, William Seymour, they began preaching the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the initial sign of speaking in tongues, even though they themselves had not received this experience. So it wasn't based on emotion. It wasn't based on ex- their experience. It wasn't based on their tradition. It wasn't based on their denomination. It was actually contrary to all those things, but it was based on the word of God. So they had this concept of restoration. Whatever we find in the New Testament we should follow that. Um, whatever the apostles preached, taught, received, consistently practiced, we need to go back and recapture it, that. That's what led to the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. And then for the oneness people, they took another step. Well, in the early church, they baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, not in the threefold titles. Not only that, why did they do that? Well, that led to the understanding of in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is revealed in Jesus Christ. So that that complete restorationism led back to Jesus' name, baptism, and the oneness of God. Now, as you might guess, I believe that third way is the correct way. And you say, well, why is that better than any other way? And my short answer, it's based on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you accept Jesus as Lord then you accept his method of starting the church. Notice Jesus did not start any local churches. He did not write any books, but he commissioned the apostles, initially the 12 apostles, then later the apostle Paul as the special apostle to the Gentiles. He trained them and commissioned them. You you see the great commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. He said, I want you to go uh, evangelize the world, preach the gospel in every nation, make disciples, baptize those disciples. And then Matthew 28, 20 says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, there are many other scriptures that I won't take the time to go into, but basically the way Jesus set up the church is that he trained, he selected, trained the apostles. They established the church And so we are supposed to be in continuity with the original apostles, as we see in the New Testament. In fact, Acts 2.42 summarizes the the early church. On the day of Pentecost, after the initial 120 received the Holy Spirit, 3,000 more came to the church, were filled with the Spirit. And then this is what characterizes the early church, and and it's a model for us today. Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. So they continued in the original experience and the original doctrine or teaching of the apostles. So I say restorationism is the plan of Jesus. And what that simply means in practice, every generation and I would say every local church should not be content just to accept tradition handed down. Tradition has a role. It can be valuable, but you cannot uncritically accept a tradition handed down to you. Nor can you merely be content with reforming some things you identify as erroneous or dysfunctional. But every generation and every local church has to intentionally go back to the original church and compare yourself to the original. Just like the 20 boards, if you want them to be as close as possible in length, you you cut each one by the first one. Okay, 
if you want like gossip, if you want to make sure there's no deviation, each person needs to hear the original statement by the original person. There still may be some slight variation, but you're much more likely to get uh, the, the, the accurate message. And when you compare, if there are any slight deviation, you can easily identify that deviation because you got 19 other people who heard the very same words. And so you're much more likely to get uh, the exact original message. And so that's what we need to do. So my answer to your question is the reason why there's so many denominations is people have uncritically accepted tradition. And then as they saw flaws, they tried to fix those flaws in one area, which led to another branch. Um, and then, of course, people interpreting scripture each has their own interpretation and if they just compare it in their own thinking or among their small group or among their friends or people with like experience, then they'll have their own group. Of course, as a practical matter, many groups are formed by power struggles, by people who want to be in leadership or cultural issues, um, uh, even um, language issues. And so different groups uh, splinter because of culture, society, language, leadership, um, and I'm not saying we all have to be organized into one organization, but I do believe we should be have the common apostolic doctrine. And I would say, even though there are thousands of denominations, there may, may be many people in some of those groups, even though the group may not be totally accurate, but people can have a genuine saving experience with God through being born again of the water and the spirit even in some of those groups. So I'm not just writing off every group, and I'm not saying you have to belong to the UPCI. I do believe you should be restored to the apostolic doctrine. So to summarize, I think there are many religious groups because people have followed traditions that have changed over time. And then when people realize that there were flaws, they tried to fix the flaws they observed, which led to more groups. And some of the people in those groups said, well, you, you fixed a, but you didn't fix B. So now we're going to form a group that fixes A and B. And that just keeps adding and adding, and adding. And then when you multiply, well, I want to be the leader. No, I want to be the leader. And so they both believe in A and B, but they split over leadership. Uh, and, and so, or, or over cultural issues or social issues. And, and so then it split, split, split. But I think behind your question is how can we get at the truth. And the answer is the one true church is the original apostolic church as revealed in the New Testament. And so if every one of us will go back to that and compare ourselves to that church, we're much more likely to have truth and we can be united with the original church. And in fact, Jesus prayed in John 17. He prayed for his disciples. Uh, he said, to God, and of course, Jesus here is a man representing us. He prayed in John 17, 17 of, of those disciples that were there, the, the apostles, sanctify them by your truth. A sanctify means to set apart. And then he said, thy word is truth. So what is supposed to separate us from the rest of the world is truth. And where we find truth is in the word of God, the Bible. And then in John 17, 20, he says, not only do I pray for these, but I pray for all those who will believe on me through their word. Well, that's us. 
We've never met Jesus in the flesh, but we believe on Jesus through the words of the apostles and their associates as recorded in the New Testament. That's why we believe on Jesus. So that's an interesting point, by the way. Jesus prayed for us. To the extent that we believe on Jesus through the original apostles, that prayer, that blessing comes directly to us. But notice, as I said earlier, that's the method Jesus used to start the church. They're supposed to, all these other believers are supposed to believe on me through the words of the apostles. And then he says in verse 21 that they all may be one. Now, some have said, well, that means Catholics and Protestants and Pentecostals all join in one organization. He's not talking about that. He's saying, I want the future believers to be joined with the apostles so they would all be one. And that's where we find oneness, even though we may have different organizations. That's secondary. That's just a matter of uh, you know, practicality in many cases. But there should be a genuine oneness of believers around the apostolic faith. And I do believe the United Pentecostal Church International does represent the apostolic faith, although we're certainly not the only group that does. And we believe that people can be saved by following the apostolic faith of the new birth, even in other groups that aren't, don't fully adopt it as official doctrine. But the, the key to reversing that dysfunction or that disunity that you see is to unite around the original apostolic faith. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share apostolic life in the 21st century with a friend or family member. And make plans to join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.